Hi, I'm Rick Steves. Okay, you love Italy and you're getting married. Why not tie your two passions together as you tie the knot? More and more Americans are choosing to celebrate their weddings overseas. Annie Adair, an American who got married in Tuscany, now works as a consultant to help American Romeos and Juliets plan their dream wedding in one of the most romantic places on the planet. Annie explains how to minimize the international red tape and stage a dream wedding in Italy. Coming up, a Tuscan wedding planner. And the first time we ever went out, he said goodnight, walked me to the door, and kissed me on the cheek. And that was rather refreshing after the first few Italian men I had gone out with. When travel leads to romance and a new life overseas, it's La Dolce Vita from Lisa Anderson. Plus your calls as we travel with Rick Steves. But first, this. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly. What's it like to marry into Italy? When travel leads to romance and a new life overseas, it's La Dolce Vita. Coming right up as we travel with Rick Steves. Call me at one 333 rick Debbie in Albany, New York, how are you doing? Hi, how are you? Thanks for your call. Doing good. What's, uh, what are you thinking about? God, it's great to finally talk to you. Well, thanks for calling. Um, I have relatives who live in Northern Ireland, and we've traveled back and forth there frequently. But, you know, my mother has just stopped chewing on her nails every time I announce that I'm going to do this. So I guess the question is, is how do you convince people here that when you travel to some place that, you know, may have had a reputation in the past and doesn't now, frankly, and it's quite right. a nice place to go to, how do you convince them that you're going to be safe? Wow. You know, that's a, that's a challenge that a lot of travelers can relate to. I, loved ones sometimes just don't get it. I try to relate to people just statistically. You know, Ireland's had, I, I don't know how many offhand, but Ireland has a huge amount of travelers. And oh, yeah. I, I've got a friend from Northern Ireland, and he's one of our tour guides. And he told me an American traveler has never been hurt or targeted by a terrorist uh, uh, act in Northern Ireland. Now, mm-hmm. you know, assure your mother that you're, or your, whoever's concerned about you that, you're going to use common sense. I mean, you don't want to go into a Protestant pub and sing Catholic songs. I mean, Absolutely. And if there's bonfires going on and orange parades, these are angry events. And yes. a lot of people are looking for that. And you're going to get caught in the crossfire if you are uh, an adventure seeker. But if you're a conservative tourist doing normal tourist things or traveler things, Northern Ireland, I think you can make the very easy case, is safer than London, and it's safer than any big city in the United States. Uh, statistically, that's certainly easy to vouch for. Um, I would say you got to um, just remember, in big cities, you exercise common sense, and you get into the countryside, it's just sweet and charming. Uh, that's true. Yeah, we've had, you know, I've been taking, you might just tell her that we've been, ta- you know, at Rick Steves uh, Europe, we've been taking uh, groups to Ireland for 10 years now, and, and it's one of our hottest destinations. We probably take 15 groups a year through Ireland, and I, as a matter of principle, will not take a group to Ireland without going to the North as well as the Republic. That's You're fantastic. just in la-la land if all you do is go to the Republic, you know. Yeah. It's a holistic experience, and it's an exciting island, and the people in the North are thrilled to have you come by. And I, I took a group in Londonderry once, and we actually had the mayor of Londonderry take time out of his schedule. He met with our group. He tried to feed us all uh, <laughs> uh, whiskey, and uh, he t- gave us a tour of his uh, mayoral palace. Mm. Uh, and he was just thrilled that an American tour group came to Derry or London Derry, you see. So the people will really uh, be in... It's a, it's a rare opportunity for Americans to be received with, like, delight and wonder because we're always going to these... Um, wonderful, very, very touristy and famous places in the Republic, and uh, not a lot of us venture up north. But you get up north and you find that it's filled with tourists enjoying a good time, but most of them are are local tourists. Right, that's true. Uh, Another thing you noticed in the north is there's a lot of... uh, a lot of art that can be off-putting. You've got people that are extremists that paint murals, political art. And I find this kind of uh, political mural painting, whether it's in Central America or um, India or in Berlin or in Ireland, I think is very powerful art. And it shows that there are problems that these societies are dealing with. And travel is 
is is not escapism. Travel really is connecting with our planet, and there's a thrilling things going on in the north. And you're going to meet you're going to meet Catholic and Protestant kids that are having summer camp together, where the communities have decided to, um, you know, subsidize these little um, wonderful weeks for their kids, so they can get together and overcome some of the baggage that uh, came from their upbringing and, and learn to live together. One great thing you could tell your loved ones is that Ireland, the Republic now, has a higher per capita income than the North. Therefore, the fear of the North, which I think is more economic than religious, mm-hmm. is uh, diffused. Because if the country was united, it would no longer be a step backwards economically because the Republic is actually more affluent now um, statistically than Britain. The people in Ireland may have a higher per capita income than the people in, in England, and, and that's an interesting development. Mm, that's true. Good luck with your trip. Well, thank you. Thanks for your call. Yes, bye-bye now. Bye. 877-333-RICK. This is Travel with Rick Steves. We've got Rick in Missouri. Rick, thanks for your call. Yeah, I had a question regarding Berlin. We're going to be traveling from Kansas City to Berlin, and uh, we're going to be making a two- or three-day layover in Krakow. And so what we were... We've, we've been investigating some of these cheaper flights on the Internet, and EasyJet just seems to be phenomenally cheap. And they seem to have been in business for a while, so they must be reputable. But would you have any insight as far as some of these uh, so-called cheap traveling uh, airlines? Yeah, it is a phenomenon in Europe these days. I remember a few years ago, Rick, nobody would ever buy a one-way ticket in Europe if they're spending their own money. Before it was deregulated, it was just ridiculously expensive. And now, you know, these um, upstart airlines, I can understand how you'd be a little bit leery about it, but they're for real, and actually they're keeping Boeing in business, I think. They're buying so many airplanes. Is that right? Yeah, and EasyJet is well-established, and uh, Ryanair is a big one. Uh, there's just a lot of, uh, of of these budget airlines, and the prices are, like, too cheap to believe. I mean, oh, these, are. these are legit. Uh, what do you figure you're going to pay to fly from Berlin to Krakow? I think about twenty euro. I yeah. mean, uh, per huh. person, it's just you know. So that's twenty five dollars. Now remember, they make their money by um, charging more as the departure date approaches. So you sure. want to the earlier you buy your ticket, the cheaper it is. If you don't show up or if you're late, there's no flexibility at all. You're just out in the cold. Don't even about, ask about any changes. What about luggage? Is there any type of restriction with EasyJet? Well, they have strict uh, luggage rules. I don't know EasyJet in particular, but I do know that you can usually fudge on the on the normal airlines that we're used to here in the United States. But oh, right. on these budget discount European airlines, if you are one kilo over, you pay a premium for that. Um, other airlines I know charge about $10 per kilo, so figure $5 a pound. So look on their website and see what their luggage allotment is. Okay. And it's usually reasonable. Uh, but it's just a compl- if you can imagine the most stripped down, no frills airline possible. That's what these are. And remember, they save a lot of money by using obscure airports. Do you know um, which airport in Berlin and in Krakow you'll be using? Uh, we still haven't pulled the trigger on our on our fares for Berlin yet. Just remember when you factor the if somebody says it's a twenty five dollar flight from Berlin to Krakow or from uh, Dublin to. Brussels or whatever, you're probably going to land at an airport that is so far away it's going to double the cost of your flight. It's still going to be cheap, but it's not going to be quite as cheap as it as it would be, as you might hope. Sure. But, sure. Um, but you know, they're for real. And, you know, it's a radical thing in Europe now because as Europe is united, all of these young, what they call them Generation E people, you know, all these young Europeans that see themselves more as Europeans than Germans or Poles, they fly around um, just without hardly thinking about it on these budget airlines. Remember, they operate out of hubs. So if people are dreaming about flying cheaply within Europe, you might have to piece two of these flights together because one budget airline would work out of Brussels, another would work out of Frankfurt or something sure. like this. But go onto the um, Internet and also remember that many of these do not even, they're unknown to travel agents because they just stay out of that entirely. They've only booked direct via the web. Sure. Yeah, but good luck on that. And then you're, what are you going to be doing in Poland? Uh, we're going to just we're going to stay in the uh, the older part of the city, the walled city, and uh, do some exploring. Wow, Krakow is just the, one of the most upcoming uh, destinations in Eastern Europe. You know, they say it's the next Prague. It, it's uh, my mother-in-law says it's wonderful, and and we're actually going to meet. Uh, uh, my wife's parents over there for a couple of days. So. Now, remember, when you travel in Western Europe, Americans are going to be a little on guard with their money. But when you're in Krakow, hotels will cost you about the same as the West, but everything else is dirt cheap. You can go to the fancy square. It's the nice, arguably the nicest medieval square in Europe. Sit at any cafe that, that just kind of clicks with you. Order whatever you want, and it's as long as you just order off the menu, it's going to be as cheap as a fast food drink uh, in the West. 
Wonderful. So have a good time with that. They've got great uh, jazz uh, all over Krakow after dark, and you've got the um, uh, incredible salt mines nearby, and also the powerful, um, most powerful concentration camp experience in Europe is just outside of Krakow. Auschwitz. Auschwitz. That's a powerful pilgrimage, and you're a very quick train ride to Warsaw if you want to see uh, more of a no-nonsense uh, modern city in Poland, but have a great time. Great. Thank you very much, Rick. Thanks for your sure. call. Mm-hmm. Michael from Lawton, Oklahoma, emailed us, and he asks, what's the best way to bring money to Europe? Use your credit card, debit card, get cash from ATMs, American Express, whatever. Michael, I would say there's only one way to bring money to Europe for me, and that's bring no money to Europe. I bring my ATM card. Uh, In the old days, you always brought cash for each country before you left home so you could function until you finally found a bank that was open that you could change your traveler's checks. Well, those days are long gone. I've changed my last traveler's check. I haven't stepped into a bank in Europe for five years. I use my single little ATM card. It works for me flawlessly. And... um, you get bank, you get your cash at the utopian bank-to-bank rate instead of the miserable tourist-to-teller rate from machines that are on street corners all over town, open 24-7. Michael also asks, how much is gas in France, Germany, and Austria? Tips for using the car economically in Europe. Well, you know, gas everywhere in Europe is really expensive, more than double what you pay in the United States. But it doesn't matter. Uh, when you're traveling around Europe, the cost of gas is not a big factor. I'm in Europe for two weeks with my family, and I fill up the car three times, $40 a tank, family traveling around for a couple weeks, $120 for gas, that's nothing. You'd pay that in two hours on the train with a family of four. So, uh, you know, when you're traveling around Europe, don't let the exorbitant cost of gas uh, mess up your ability to properly compare expenses as you make your choice of what is the best mode of transportation for your needs. We have some more calls on the line. I'd like to get to Carolyn in, in Warminster, Pennsylvania. Yes. Thank you so much for the opportunity to participate in the program. Are you taking your dog with you on the trip? Oh, <laughs> Yes, you will. I'm studying right now and have a family, which makes it difficult for me to save. My question, my question is, for a trip, how much can I expect to spend on a trip to Italy for four? For four? Yes, for a family of four. Boy, it's, you know, the dollar is low, and Americans are going to Italy, and when they go to Italy, they're going to the most famous places. If you're going to go to Siena or Rome or the Cinque Terre or Venice, you're going to pay top dollar. doesn't mean you shouldn't go there, but you really got to exercise some budget tricks. Family of four, I would highly recommend finding a place that had a four-bedroom, a quad. And there's a lot of quasi-hostels, especially in a big city like Rome, run by, in a lot of cases, expatriates that know how to uh, accommodate for the needs of uh, American travelers. And you will have a kitchenette, and you can actually get quite reasonable accommodations and cook for the price of groceries when you do it that way. That would be a good tip. Also remember, four people sharing one vehicle is quite inexpensive. And if you get into the countryside, Carolyn, with your car and four people, it's just the car rental, which is is competitive with what we'd spend in the United States for a car rental. And then you can tool around and visit the little villages where the prices go way down and the intimacy of the experiences uh, go way up, I would say. Thank you so much. Yeah, good luck. Is this with your family that you're going to be going? Yes, sir. Mom and dad and two kids? Yes. Great. Well, good luck on your trip. Thanks for your call. Thank you. All right. What's it like to marry into Italy? When travel leads to romance and a new life overseas, it's La Dolce Vida. Coming right up as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines, with 4,000 flights to 250 cities in some 40 countries around the world every day. It's easy to book your next flight at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.
I'm Rick Steves, and this is Travel with Rick Steves, and right now that means Italy, and this means amore in Italy, because we're talking falling in love with an Italian and literally moving in. Italy is one of the most popular, I would say it is the most popular European destination these days, and a lot of people are mixing travel and romance, that's for sure. I've got with me one of my guides who actually took me and my family around Italy on a Village Italy tour a couple of years ago, and Lisa Anderson is with us today. Lisa was um, born and raised in Seattle. She taught English in Italy in 97, and apparently uh, one of her favorite students, Mauro, uh, stole her heart, and uh, Lisa married Mauro in year 2000, and now they've got a three-year-old son, Filippo, and they're living in Piedmont in northern Italy. Lisa, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. So you went to Italy. And you went to Italy in order to, to teach English? Yes. Tell us how you met Mauro. I had gone to have a cultural experience to learn the language and just kind of walked door to door with my CV or my resume, I guess we'd say. And the second school I walked into said, oh, they're hiring. Mauro was one of my first students, uh, didn't turn my head. And then after a number of months, he finally asked me out for coffee. He took his time and that was it. We started going out and not a whole lot of time Later, we got married. Now, I've heard Italian men are really, really slick with tourist women. Uh-huh. I mean, like that, that's the first thing they learn to say in their English language. Ciao bella. Ciao bella. <laughs> and in, I know in Venice, the boys hang out on St. Mark's Square, just mm-hmm. like uh, some people go fishing. Mauro uh, was very different. He was uh, pretty reserved, actually, which was one of the things I really appreciated about him. The first time we ever went out, he said goodnight, uh, walked me to the door, and kissed me on the cheek. And that was rather refreshing after the first few Italian men I had gone out with. By the way, is that still a problem for Americans in Italy these days where men will actually pinch them and, and uh, you know, uh, chase I've never them been so pinched. On. Right. So that's uh, a sort of an old 1960s thing. Although I've heard the farther south you go, the more it's true. You get cat calls, not so much in the northern part, but in southern Italy. The farther south you go, the, the hotter it gets. Yeah. So that's part of that. And I think it's important for American women not to get put off by that. It's, of course, it's not acceptable in our norms here in the no, United States. No, but it's States. the culture there. It's the culture there. And uh, I mean, I think a lot of women actually miss it when they get home. What's wrong with being called, get... saying, hi, beautiful? I like being called beautiful. And that's what happens on the streets? Yeah. Now, this is interesting. Nice they have this wonderful thing, uh, the passeggiata, mm-hmm. and it's just everybody's out strolling in the evening. Mm-hmm. When is that? Early evening, late afternoon? It happens early evening. And then again after dinner, often. Really? And in a small town especially. Actually, big cities too, if you know where to yeah, stroll. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, it's, I, I like it because there's this wonderful, subtle bella mm-hmm. or bello. And uh, this is something you've got to be very careful about if you're going to get in the flirting scene there. Mm-hmm. You've got to get your genders right, right? Absolutely. Because you don't want to tell a, a girl bello. No, no. Tell us about that. Uh, if, you, if you tell a girl that she's bello, you're saying she's very masculine, essentially. You'd be saying... You're, or you're a man, maybe you're a cross-dresser. <laughs> I don't know. Bella. So you want to, if you're a guy and you're appreciating the women on the street, Ciao you would bella. say, Ciao Bella. Or and, if you want to be a little more vulgar, but still appreciative, not unappreciated there, Que Fica. What does that mean? It's talking about... I can take it. Uh-huh. Yeah, I think that's a different... Now there's, because in Rome, they have something rougher than the normal passeggiata, mm-hmm. and it's called the struccio. Struccio, and it's, that's literally rubbing. Ah, interesting. And people are out in the streets in Rome, and you got these coato types, the uh-huh. more vulgar, lower class kind of uh, characters in the street. And they're out there making the scene, and they're literally brushing against each other as they walk. And they don't say bella, bello, but they say what you just said there. What was that? Fica, fico. Fica, fico. So that's an, a subtlety when you're traveling in Italy. That's nice to be tuned into. Uh-huh. Now, you met Mauro. And Mauro, is he, a, a lot of guys in Italy are famous for being mamone. What is that? Mamone, mama's boy. Mom's and they are. Uh, Mauro is not a typical Italian man, which is probably why I married him. He actually does windows and cleans the house. I know he's amazing. Uh, his father set a good example for him. But I have met a number of mamone. Mamone, that's mama's boy. And mama's they, they boy. can't break the umbilicone. No, the umbilical cord does not want to <laughs> go so, anywhere. So these are men that, that stay at home until they're 35, then they get married, and it's like from one mother to if the next. If they get married. Really? Yeah. This is really a, phenom- a, a uniquely Italian thing, I, I would you, say. Can I tell a story about a friend I have who... Uh, her husband kept taking his laundry home to his mother after they were married. And she later realized that he was doing it because he was trying to help her. She worked full time, but she didn't appreciate it very much. And one day they started getting in an argument because he couldn't find something that 
he had probably taken to his mother's house and didn't bring back. She said, before you get on my case, why don't you go check with your mother and see if she's got it. And then she finally came out and she says, okay, let's put it this way. For every shirt you take home to your mother, I'm going to sleep one night at my mother's. And that probably solved the problem. Yeah. I'm talking with Lisa Anderson, and we're, uh, we're talking about falling in love with, a, with somebody in a foreign country and actually living happily ever after. Is that safe to say? Yeah. How many years into your marriage are you? Uh, the fourth. Fourth year. And, and you got a little baby. And I still love him. Yes. And you still love Mauro. And I love my baby. And you're living in a small town in northern Italy. Very small town. Tell me about the legalities, Lisa, of um, marrying and moving into another country. How complicated was that? In the end, we found out it was actually easier for us to get my documents if we got married in America, which worked out well for me because I always wanted to have a wedding in a garden rather than a, a church. And so I came back here and had a wedding party. My husband really didn't care a whole lot about where he was married, and it was really fun because his parents came to the Seattle area to see us get married, which for them was a big deal because we are talking small-town Italy, very provincial people, and wow, what an adventure that was. And they came to America for the wedding. And they spent a week before the wedding with us and then the first week of our honeymoon, which was Your mother-in-law and your father-in-law came with you on your honeymoon. And my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law and their eight-year-old Now, that's not child. typical Italian. Mm, <laughs> well. <laughs> or just a big family, huh? Yeah. Now, how, how's your relations with your mother-in-law and your father-in-law? Um, my father-in-law has passed away. Mm-hmm. My mother-in-law, we have a pretty good relationship. We have our moments. I don't think she expected someone who uh, necessarily talked back to her if she didn't agree with her her way. But you have to understand that we live right next door to her in the same house. And that was a little closer than I'd ever lived to my parents. And uh, she's a really nice lady. And I think all in all, we get along very well. But we have different ideas about life and culture. Obviously, I have different cultural, I have a different cultural background than what she has. Okay, so you're, you're moving into Italy, you've got your Italian husband, you're, you're raising three-year-old Filippo. Mm-hmm. What's it like to be raising a child in Italy? Are you raising an American child, an Italian child? Hopefully we're ma- raising a, an Italian-American child. It's going to be, he obviously will be a bit more Italian, I would say. My friends make fun of me because I said once, oh, no, he doesn't have an accent when he speaks English, and he really does. Really? Uh-huh, right. but it's cute. He speaks both languages. And you intend to raise him bilingual? Very well, yes. I've always spoken English to him, and Mauro has always spoken Italian, and my mother-in-law speaks in the Piemontese dialect. Here we have a question from Anne in Atlanta. Anne's on the line. Hi. Buongiorno, Lisa. How Buongiorno. are you? Buongiorno. Bene, tu? Oh, molto bene, grazie. Or, or so, or, that was perfect. <laughs> that was perfect. <laughs> so what do you, what's on your mind, Anne? No, I was just um, wondering what were some of the other cross-cultural issues that you had to deal with once you began married life in Italy? And uh, you may have discussed this earlier before I could hear this. Are you raising your son bilingually, did you say? Yes, he speaks both languages yes. and a bit of dialect as well. Great, great. And it's amazing how kids handle languages. I mean, for them it's easy. They are truly sponges. I bet they are, right. Did you have any other cross-cultural uh, issues that you felt that were a little bit difficult when you first began your married life in Italy? The, just the being so close to my in-laws... Uh, living literally in the same house with them, so I can't even go and hang out my laundry to dry without my mother-in-law seeing me cross. And she would actually do something that was very annoying to me. She still does occasionally. She'd go out and rehang all my laundry if I didn't do it properly. Oh, really? Uh-huh. <laughs> is there a certain technique in Italy that there you... There <laughs> is. You need airflow. And so pants would have to be hung with four clothespin, as would underwear. And oh, I, my. I still rebel, and I only hang my underwear with three clothespins. <laughs> Airflow. <laughs> airflow. <laughs> so your mother-in-law makes sure you know about the airflow. And they have to be turned inside out because the sun bleaches clothes. You know, they do that in certain areas of Switzerland as well. That uh-huh. is very interesting, the inside-out underwear effect. It's quite interesting. <laughs> <laughs> right. Things you would never know about. Absolutely. So, and thank you so much for your call. Well, thank you. And uh, happy travels. Happy travels to you. Okay. Bye, Anne. Bye-bye. We have Walt on the phone in Cartersville, Georgia, and Walt loves Italy, and he, uh, he wants to know how likely it is for an unmarried American male with no Italian relatives to live in Italy, and uh, what are the chances of marrying an Italian woman? Hi, Rick. Hi. It sounds like you're ready for an Italian experience. Oh, yes, another one. I've been there, uh, well, this, uh, this last uh, spring I was there for my fourth trip over, and I 
seem to want to uh, always go back to Italy in spite of there being so much of Europe to see. It's a beautiful place. Have you ever had a romantic uh, encounter with an Italian woman in your travels? Uh, nothing nothing of, of any uh, depth, really. I've, I've met some Italian women, but I find that uh, it's, for me it seems to be fairly difficult to, to meet an Italian woman, and I don't know if that's the uh, social and cultural differences that we have as well as the language differences, but do you speak that Italian? is the case. Do you speak any Italian, Walt? Uh, I speak some. I speak more than I did the previous trip that I made, and uh, for me that was a very empowering thing to, to feel like I could do more than simply ask directions to the nearest store down the street or around the corner. I would imagine I, that would be a huge advantage if you wanted to meet somebody to speak the language. Yes, I think so. And, and you know, I've, I've learned a bit, but I don't think it really gets me in, shall we say, the front door of knowing what's really going on inside the, the, the person's head and expressing real feelings, true feelings. Well, here's Lisa. Lisa met, met an Italian and ended up uh, connected and happily connected. Uh, Lisa, do you have any, how, how would an American who's sincerely interested in, in uh, meeting somebody in Italy and loves the culture and so on, what would be a way to meet, meet a local person, a man or a woman? To go and live there, because you, you can't just go for a vacation and probably form any sort of lasting relationship. I did not speak any Italian when I went to live there. I could say, grazie, thank you, and count to about 10, and that was pretty much Really? It. And you learned as an adult? I learned as an adult. I actually did not study formally until I came back to Seattle to think about getting married. Uh, but I was very... Uh, inspired to study, I'd say. I studied while I was not teaching English, and it was really interesting. I went to bed at night conjugating verbs in my head. Because I lived in a small town, I decided to really go uh, and get delve into the culture, and I didn't want to choose a big city where I'd get caught up in the expat culture. Mm -hmm. And so without Italian, I would get very lonely very quickly. Now, Lisa, in a romantic language country, a romance mm -hmm. language country or, or Mediterranean culture where it's sort of a macho men's world on the streets, I would imagine it's easier for a woman, an American woman, to meet an Italian man than an American man to meet an Italian woman. Uh, what do you think about that? I would say that's probably true. But, you, I mean, it's easy to meet the women as well, but you would definitely need to, to be more involved in the culture and to get to know some of the families because you'd need to be presented more to them. You need to be presented. I would say. Talk uh, more. Italian women really need to feel comfortable with people. Uh, you know, a lot of the men they end up marrying, they meet very young. We said earlier during the passeggiata, often the, the evening passage, I knew people who met their partners for life and they might have met them while they were teenagers and they would have gone out for 10 or 12 years together before even getting married. Wow. So it takes some time. Italian women are not easy. <laughs> Italian women are not easy. Italian men. Italian men would like easy women, but I There's don't think they're getting there, it, it from the Italian women. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. Walt, what are your thoughts? I discussed this with a married friend of mine who had traveled with his wife to Florence just prior to my trip to Tuscany. And uh, we both agreed that as we, and he was certainly not seeking other women, but we both felt uh, in our respective experiences that we were rather invisible as American men walking down the street, that the women just did not see us. And I felt that there, this would be a hard nut to crack, shall we say, to, to, to be able to find that the Italian woman could warm up to the American male. I have to say I can, I can relate to your frustration there. On the streets in tourist areas, local women would think of all the tourists as just, I think, just kind of dorks with money Men walking around buying, yeah. buying pizza and drinking beer. Um, it's just not a, not a very impressive scene. You would need to get yourself out of that world, I think, mm -hmm. and yeah. into a small-town bocce ball court or mm -hmm. into a English-as-a-second-language club or into some sort of an association. Take a language course or go and teach English or uh, some other profession if you were interested in working. It's not easy to get work permits to live in Italy. When I went there, I was illegal. I went on a tourist visa, uh, but it was not difficult for me to find a job. Let's talk about that a little bit because Walt was also concerned about uh, employment opportunities mm -hmm. over there. Uh, yeah. So you want to get a job over there. You can go the, uh, the formal route, which probably is complicated, or you can just go over there and say, hey, I got charm, I speak English, you need somebody who can connect with tourists, mm -hmm. uh, you can pay me under the table. How does that work, Lisa? 
that's basically it. Yeah, I found a school, a woman who was willing to employ me and uh, gave me a student visa. I had to actually come back to the United States for a student visa. So if you can get a student visa before going, that's easier. Uh, technically, I think you can even work part-time with a student visa, although mine actually said I couldn't. Uh, but my, Italians, my Italians is, are very good at breaking the law, and so I just kind of stepped right in and played the Italian role. My understanding is uh, legally Europeans are not inclined to hire an American if it will unemploy a local person. It's hard to get permission. True, which is why it's very hard to find jobs other than teaching that are legal unless jobs. You're, that are legal jobs unless you have some specific qualifications. There are also resources. If you were to go to a, a public library and ask at the reference desk, there are local publications that uh, publish overseas jobs. Hmm. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. And there's the Whole World Handbook, I think, or the Whole World uh, Transitions Abroad. That's it. Transitions exactly. Abroad is a great publication in the United States for people looking for work and study overseas. opportunities mm -hmm. overseas. Hey, Walt, when you're going to Italy, remember, if you want to get a job, you can... Uh, Try to go to places where there's a lot of tourism and there's a real need for English-speaking salespeople. And mm -hmm. that could be a ski resort. That could be a Florence in a, in a silver or leather shop. Uh, that's where you have a marketable skill. But if exactly. you're going to be... And, uh, somewhat as a, not a middleman per se, but someone who can translate between the, the buyer and the seller. Yeah, not a middleman at all, a front man, a person who connects and then charms people into giving your employer money. Right. You see, right. and that's yeah. where they're frustrated. They've got great stuff, but they can't connect with Americans because Americans are skeptical about this person. But you could be the connector there. And there's right. so much tourism in Italy right now. Italy is so, so popular that way. Mm -hmm. Walt, thank you very much for your call. And thank good you, luck. Thank let, you, Lisa. You're welcome. Let us thank know if, you. You, uh, if we help you get connected there. Sure will. I'll, I'll stay in touch. Okay. Thanks again. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Ciao. We got Kristen on the phone in Seattle, and Kristen is interested in working uh, part-time or full-time in Italy. Hello. How are you doing? Good. How are you guys? Great. What are you Great. thinking about as far as getting a job in Italy? Well, I just returned from my second trip there, and I've just fallen in love with the culture and the landscape and the people there. And um, I enjoyed in the conversation that you just had and that um, looking at um, possible full-time work there and moving there permanently um, or a job where I could balance time between the United States and Italy. And we're just um, interested in any opportunities that uh, you can think of or any resources out there. Like we said before, the, the publication, what was it, Worlds Abroad? The tr no. uh, Transitions, Transitions Abroad. Abroad. I love that magazine, by the way, Transitions Abroad. It's just a, a wonderful magazine for travelers, students, uh, people of any age who want to get a job overseas. Uh, that's a good resource. And then again, just, you know, like I said, I was... They're teaching, and I literally went over without a job. I had uh, just put as much money in the bank as I could here. I sold my car, and that was my way into Europe. And I walked with my resume in hand into schools and just presented myself and saw what came up. i got to say, Lisa's an impressive person. If she walks into your office, you do want to hire her. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Hey, Kristen, thanks for your call, and good luck. Thank you. You bet. Ciao. Bye. More on living in Italy and bringing home the ultimate souvenir from Lisa Anderson. Plus your calls, coming up. You're traveling with Rick Steves. Ik ben Ferdi Mengi en ik ben van België. En ik reis met Rick Steves. Now, that was Flemish. And it means I am Ferdi Mengi from Belgium. And I travel with Rick Steves. Ik ben Ferdi Mengi. ben van België. And I race with Rick Steves. I'm talking with Lisa Anderson, and we're uh, we're talking about falling in love with a with somebody in a foreign country and actually living happily ever after. Is that safe to say? Yeah. How many years into your marriage are you? Uh, the fourth. Fourth year. And you got I a little still baby, love him. Yeah. and you still love Maro. And I love my baby. And you're living in a small town in northern Italy. Very small town. Lisa, you moved to Italy, and now you've had this sense of the American having this almost Tuscan son kind of experience, where you get charmed by the culture and mm -hmm. you move in. Give us a reality check. I, we watched the movie The Tuscan Sun, and we just think it could be so magical. Uh, you've been there for, what, five or six years now? Mm -hmm. uh, going on eight. Going on eight. Uh, the tempo of life, has that been an adjustment? Uh, people, are you the American in the town that nobody really wants to get intimate with? or What's it like in a, t in a small town in Italy being the American? It's different. Uh, boy, 
it's funny because the older people actually have accepted me more readily than younger people, which I found really surprising. It took a while. I found that once my son was born and people saw me walking around with a baby carriage, that made a big difference. And that was so after, what, two years of marriage. We had a kid pretty quickly. Uh, and that it's the nonas in town that really say hi to me and accept me. We and found that I, with our babies when we were in Italy. Uh, I mean, children are little even as tourists. I princes mean, and right princesses. away, we were everybody's favorite oh, little family. Oh, ciao, bella, bello. It's almost you almost. There should be some sort of a service where people can rent a baby for a couple of days Absolutely. just for the fun of having a baby well, in Italy. Being pregnant's pretty good too. There is that right? <laughs> yeah. Now, what about uh, the tempo of life? I mean, you're an American, and you go over there, and things just don't work as efficiently and expediently as they do here, do they? No, that took some adjusting to the town that I moved into, which was sort of medium-sized. 55, 65,000 people. Everything was closed on Sunday, and I mean everything except bars, cafes. Uh, and Monday morning, there were no grocery stores open, and on Thursday afternoon, all the grocery stores closed. Uh, there was a three-hour siesta in the middle of the day, which was pretty much the only time I had free to go shopping because everything closed after 7.30 in the evening, and I usually worked until 8 o'clock. So this is enforced mellow out, slow down. Yeah, so now, you've been there for seven or eight years. Uh, are you still bucking that, or do you realize that's more wise? No, I think it's a pretty nice, nice lifestyle. I think that there's sort of a happy medium between the two cultures, honestly, and they're starting to change a little bit as well. You can find things open on Sunday. Actually, in the smallest towns, you usually find services open, where in the medium size and big cities, it's harder to, from my experience. I think the big cities, there's... Big cities are not slow. No. Big cities are big cities yeah, everywhere sure. you go. How about, how about the politics lately? I mean, Italy is famous for its peace flags. When I was there after the, you know, the start of the Gulf War, it was mm-hmm. peace flags everywhere. Now, you're an American there, and they got their ideas on the politics. Uh, regardless of who's right or wrong or any of that stuff, what's it like to be an American living in small-town Italy with the political environment these days? People fortunately understood the difference between our government and what we were doing and whether and individuals and what they thought. So they just asked me what I felt, whether I was for or against the war, what I thought of the things that were going on, and, and I told them, and they recognized the difference. So they don't con- if, they, if they do not like our government's foreign policy, they don't condemn an American individual for it. No. But they want to talk. Right. I've noticed after George Bush's second election that Europeans are a little more forward now about broaching this issue. I haven't talked to a whole lot of people since the second election, honestly, about it, uh, simply because... It was sort of, you know, right before the holidays, November, December, and I haven't been out on tour as much, actually, so I haven't haven't had as much contact with people. And I will be curious to see once I get out there uh, more what the opinions are. My friends haven't really asked me a whole lot, which I find curious. I don't know if they're being polite or... (laughs) I'm still very convinced that that the fact is you do not need to minimize where you travel according to what you think people's feelings are about American foreign policy. People accept us Americans as individuals. We can travel anywhere Absolutely. and be ambassadors of goodwill. We'll be received respectfully. There are certain odd crackpots that are going to do things that would be, you know, just rude and, and kind of goofy. And yeah, but unless you're an ugly American, you're not going to be treated badly. I mean, I th- if you go out there and travel and, and are respectful of the culture that you're traveling within, you're not going to have any problems. And some people are treated like ugly Americans, but I've just done a 25-year study of that, and I've concluded that people who are treated like ugly Americans Usually are treated are. that way because they're ugly Americans. They're not bad people. They're just ethnocentric. Yes. And you go to Italy, you go to France, you go to Brazil, you go to Thailand. They do things differently there. They wouldn't trade passports. No, they would not. My husband would never trade his passport in. They like being who they are, that's and that's exactly a beautiful right. thing. That's exactly right, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's yeah, a wonderful thing. Our planet is uh, some diversity that I think we can celebrate. Mm-hmm. Lisa Anderson, thank you so much for sharing your experience in Italy, and best wishes to you and your beautiful family. Grazie. Prego. American Annie Adair fell in love with an Italian from Tuscany and now lives in Volterra. Shake a baby, shake it, cause I love her when you take a me. Coming up on Travel with Rick Steves, I'll visit with Annie as we enjoy life under the Tuscan sun. This is Travel with Rick Steves. Mama say you stop or I'm gonna tell a papa and I hate Jadrul. You don't have to go to school. Just make a weed of beat a bambino. It's like a vino. Kid, you're good at looking, but you don't know it's cooking till you ain't mambo. Mambo Italiano, ain't mambo. Mambo Italiano, oh, oh, oh. you mixed 
Siciliana It's so delicious Everybody come capisce How to mambo Italiano That's nice I'm Rick Steves This is Travel with Rick Steves And right now I'm thinking about weddings Weddings in some romantic corner Let's say Tuscany Boy, how would I get arrange a wedding in Tuscany. I know, maybe there's somebody who does this as a profession, a consultant for weddings, who might be an American that fell in love in Tuscany and got married and lives there now and helps other Americans plan some romantic, exotic Tuscan wedding. I've got with me on the phone Annie Adair, uh, who's lived in Italy for seven years, and um, part of her work is helping Americans set up weddings in Italy. Annie, thank you for joining us. It's good to be with you, Rex. Did I explain that correctly? Is that what you do? Absolutely right. Yes, we um, we try to make the 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 process of planning a wedding in Italy, uh, in Tuscany in particular, uh, as easy as possible for our clients. Now, do you have any first-hand experience in this? I know uh, the answer I do. to that question. I do. I got married myself in uh, in Tuscany four years ago, and planned the entire thing from. Washington, D.C., my hometown, um, I'd already been to Italy, um, but uh, I found even having an Italian husband, that wasn't enough. Planning a wedding was not easy. Now, tell me just a little bit briefly about the red tape an American couple would go through to plan a wedding in Italy. Um, Well, it depends on the wedding you're going to have. Um, The only fully legal wedding that you can have as a foreigner in Italy is a civil wedding. And that means it has to be held in a town hall and that documents have to be prepared in America through uh, an Italian consulate and then brought to Italy before the wedding and brought to various offices here to be legalized. And then as soon as that's done, uh, taken to the town hall where the ceremony will be performed and then get ready for the wedding. Now, in your service, do you actually do the footwork to take the documents to the consulate and arrange the city hall, or how do you come into play? Absolutely. We, we uh, accompany our clients every step of the way. Um, the American consulate in, uh, in Italy requires that when a couple's going to get married in Italy, they actually have to appear before the consul. Um, so they do have to be here several days before the wedding, but we, we go with them and make sure that they know exactly what they have to do and where they have to be at what time so that when they come here and they want to get married, they know it's going to happen. How many American consulates are I mean, we know we have an ambassador in Rome, right? But uh, how many consulars do we have? Um, there are numerous consuls uh, throughout Italy. The one that we use uh, for Tuscany is the, con- is the American Consulate General in Florence. I see. And now, you, when you're traveling on, what is it, on Sunday or Saturday or whatever, on wedding day, you find at the city halls all over Italy, it's just routine to see people with their wedding dresses on and their party there making, taking photographs and doing the formalities at the city hall. Absolutely. Well, the city halls here, you have to remember, are uh, buildings that are often much older than a lot of churches you'll find. Um, City halls date back to the 13th century in Italy, so you can really find gorgeous frescoed halls. uh, And the Italians take weddings very seriously, even if they're not in a church. So uh, the mayor who is usually the person who will officiate for the ceremony, is very welcome to the idea. You know, this depends on the town, and that's part of our job. We help people find the right town. Um, but the, the mayor will usually welcome music and readings and, and really wants you to make the, the ceremony as personal as possible. So it's not just signing a paper at the, at the bureaucrat's desk, but you've got Here Come the Bride and all this kind of stuff. It's a full, beautiful Italian wedding. Wow. Do you have to, is it expensive to rent a hall in the city hall for this, or how does that work? Well, it depends on the town that you're going to. Now, uh, really popular towns like San Gimignano and Florence in Tuscany charge an arm and a leg um, and don't give you that much time to actually get married in a town hall. Part of the the key to making your wedding right is choosing the right town hall. Um, some cost 250 euro, so that's about $300 now, um, and others cost up to over 1,000 euro. So this is really uh, actually seen as part of the industry or part of tourism, uh, wedding parties coming in, renting the town hall, getting all sorts of nice uh, hotels and banquets and so on? Well, there's such a big request now that actually a lot of of the the town halls that are more requested by foreigners um, have 
raise their fees significantly because they just can't handle the number of people coming to get married. Is this a trendy thing among Americans, going to Italy to get married? It's a very big thing. Uh, Italy is a beautiful place. It's a very romantic place for a wedding. Um, and it really offers uh, an interesting alternative to people who maybe don't want to do a traditional wedding with all of their friends and family, but want to do something a bit more intimate. Um, and that's what we find that, that is the desire of most of our clients. Now, if people want to tie in a, a, their religion or their faith with the wedding, do they have another ceremony at a church? Do they fly over their pastor or their priest? Do they hire a local priest? How do they, how do they work in their religion? Well, any of that is possible. Um, the, the civil ceremony stands for the legal ceremony. Now, after that, um, any sort of ceremony can be done. Italy being a Catholic country, it's uh, obviously easier to find a Catholic priest to perform what they call a blessing of the civil ceremony. So, you know, a, a, a Catholic church wedding. Um, in uh, Tuscany, there's also Protestant churches, um, and uh, there are also um, uh, synagogues where people can get married as well. Now, uh, people are obviously free to also bring their pastor over or anyone they would like to perform a blessing or what uh, we also call a symbolic wedding. Now, Italy is sort of famous for being Catholic, but also for being not very church-going, but at the same time having Catholicism in their blood. Do you find most Italians these days are just having a civil wedding and, and keeping it formal like that, or are they, tying, are they going back to the church for their wedding? Well, that's actually a tough question, because um, while there are not that many young people who are still church-going Catholics in Italy, um, there's a lot of people who still feel like it's a it's a part of their culture and their tradition. Um, and maybe, at a t maybe while they don't go on Sundays to Mass, might feel like their wedding is an event that needs to be done in a church. That said, there's a lot of Italians who do get married in the town hall. It's, um, it's increasingly uh, an, acceptable and, uh, an acceptable form of marriage by the entire family. Now, if you, from a practical and a legal point of view, if you get, if, it, if an American couple gets married in Italy with the Italian city hall and mayor and all that, when they go back to the states, is their marriage legally exactly the same as if they got married in America? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, all they have to do is take the marriage certificate, which is issued by the town hall in a multilingual form. Uh, back to their state of residence. And because in the United States marriage is a state issue, um, that, just, that marriage certificate just has, has to be issued with their state of residence. Okay, I'm talking with Annie Adair, who is a local tour guide, an American who has uh, sort of uh, moved into Italy. She's lived seven years in the beautiful town of, of Volterra, uh, just an hour or two away from Florence in Tuscany, glorious hill town. Annie is both a tour guide and a wedding consultant. She sets up weddings for Americans wanting to get married in Tuscany. Her website is www.tuscantour.com, or you can uh, connect with that via our website at ricksteves.com. Annie, tell us a little bit. You must have had a, your wedding. Was it in Italy? Tell us a little bit about that. It was. Um, well, I actually got married in uh, a beautiful private villa right outside of Volterra, where my husband is from. Um, and we were trying to keep the wedding small, uh, and we're thinking maybe 80, 90 people, and then all of these relatives of my husband's came out of the woodwork and ended up being about 130 people. Um, and at the time when you're an American bride and you're you know, worried about numbers and making everything perfect, um, it, may not, it didn't, didn't seem to me like a great thing, um, but about another 50 people actually showed up at our wedding, so we were about 180 people in the end. And I have to say, though, it was the, the most amazing thing to have this participation, and the, people want to be involved in your wedding. Weddings for Italians are community events, and that was a really amazing thing for me to experience. Now, in your work as a consultant helping Americans uh, put together weddings in Italy, you must have a line on a lot of wonderful villas that lend themselves to this, so you get this idyllic Tuscan countryside feel. We do work with a lot of villas. Um, the, it depend, you know, choosing the right villa really depends on what kind of a feel you're looking for, um, but it also depends on the size of the group that you're going to be, how many guests you're going to have with you. And um, one of the really important things that 
you need to think about when you're planning a, a wedding in a villa here in Tuscany is plan B, is the rain. Because Tuscany is a very sunny, beautiful area, but even in the, the, the summer months, it can always rain. Um, and uh, we found one villa in particular that we have worked with uh, numerous times that's extraordinary. It has a beautiful, enormous uh, hall inside the villa that seats up to 120 people. Hmm. Um, and so that's a great plan B. And that's the Villa di Ulignano, and that's located right out of Volterra. That's where we were married. Do you have a, a lot of photographs on your website that show off these different uh, venues? We don't, actually. We, per- we uh, prefer to keep the, our description of, uh, of the wedding services rather simple and have people who are considering a wedding in Tuscany write to us and tell us what they're thinking about. And at that point, we'll send them back all of the information they need to make an informed decision. What is the word uh, for honeymoon in Italian? Luna di miele. I love that. Luna di miele. And where do people like to go for their honeymoon after the wedding in Italy? What are the most romantic places? Uh, Sicily is a common uh, destination. People like going to South America. Uh, they also go to exotic places such as the Maldives uh, or the Caribbean. What about in Italy if they just want to take a train somewhere from, the, from Tuscany? Well, if you want to take a train, a beautiful place to go is the Amalfi Coast, the islands of Sardinia, uh, Elba, right off of the Tuscan coast, is a really easy and gorgeous destination. Uh, Venice, of course, is romantic, but uh, probably a better destination if people are getting married in the fall, winter, early spring months. Um, and Rome, who can resist right. Rome? And for me, the, one of the most romantic places, Luna de Mille country for me, is Lago di Como, Lake Como, specifically Varena, one hour north of Milano. I've been talking with Annie Adair about getting married in Tuscany. Annie, thank you so much for your insight and uh, something that could come in very handy for some of our listeners. Best wishes thank with you, your work, and um, ciao. Ciao. <laughs> Travel with Rick Steves is produced by Tim Tatton at Europe Through the Back Door in Edmonds, Washington. There's more online in the radio section at ricksteves.com, where you can look up information on this and other programs in this series. Join us next time as we travel with Rick Steves. Travel with Rick Steves is brought to you by American Airlines. With their new Advantage Award booking tool, it's easier than ever to book to over 800 Advantage Award destinations online at aa.com. American Airlines knows why you fly.